Don't get lost in the waves of change. 190 pages, tens of hours of lawyers. One takeaway today is you, you now put on your listing agent hat when you meet with a buyer and you treat them the same way. So that's what you need to take with. KGCI Real Estate on Air, keeping you informed and empowered as the NAR settlement brings seismic shifts to the real estate industry. It's a consultation and a strategy. When you think of how people need to buy a home in this market, it takes great strategy. So why not strategize with that buyer? They need your help more than ever. Depend on KGCI Real Estate on Air. Hey everybody, it's Cody Gilkison. Welcome to another episode of Culture Cast, the bi-weekly podcast about what makes us us. Really excited because we are bringing you guests from the all new DEI team. So today we're welcoming Morgan Johnson, our brand newly minted DEI communications coordinator. Morgan, welcome. Thank you, Cody. I appreciate you allowing me to be on this platform. So I recognize Minority Mental Health Month. Can you share with us the unique challenges faced by minority communities when it comes to mental health and accessing mental health services? Yeah, I find um, accessing mental health services, I'll start with that. Um, it's kind of difficult in minority communities. Um, I live in Arizona and I live in sort of a rough part of town. So in order for me to go see my therapist, I have to drive like an hour away. So if I had a therapist that was a lot closer to my home, it would be much more convenient. Also, it took me a very long time to settle in on a therapist due to them not understanding where I'm coming from as an African-American woman when it comes to discrimination um, and different challenges I face um, every day. So that's very, it's sometimes difficult or it was difficult for me to find someone that understood me. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that lack of competent care is really, uh, is, is something that strikes a lot of different communities and something that I've experienced too. You know, I think um, growing up down South, a lot of my um, depression and stuff stemmed from being closeted and gay in the South. And all of the care for mental health treatment that was out there for me was very religious based mm -hmm. and very negative. It was sort of like the better thing for you to do is, is uh, fight these demons, right? When that's not, I needed to em embrace my, my pride, embrace my rainbow, right? That's what would have really helped me. I also think that, um, particularly for uh, people of color, when you go to a, a counselor who can't relate to you culturally and relate to your background, you automatically just feel othered. And it's yeah. hard to be honest with your truth when you are, when you're feeling that headspace. Um, and I, you know, I also say that culturally competent care doesn't necessarily mean you must seek out therapy from someone who shares your exact background. Right. I bounced between therapists and therapists and therapists and therapists and therapists. And the first one that I felt really saw or heard me was a, <laughs> a white woman in her early nineties. You know, <laughs> we could not have been more different, honestly, right. a white straight cisgender woman, you know, and right. in her nineties, but she saw me, you know what I mean? In yeah. a way that, um, that also comes with like, experience and mm -hmm. having dealt had had clients of all those different you know uh backgrounds 
Yeah. Yeah, um, I had a similar experience. The very first time I ever went to a therapist, it was back when I was 20. And it was a Caucasian male. Um, and when I was talking about, you know, the fact that my dad was in and out of my life, you know, my mom is going through this when I was a child. And this is why I act. And I'm trying to figure out why I feel depressed and why I feel the way that I feel and why I think the way that I think. He didn't really, I didn't, I wasn't getting like a back and forth from him. Um, all he said was try meditating. So that one thing, him saying that, I was 20 when, when um, I was like, okay, yeah, I have something going on. Like, there's yeah. no way that I feel this way every single day. So going to him and him just saying, oh, well, you just need to meditate. Come back in a week and pay me my copay. Like, that was too, that was crazy for me. Yeah, so yeah. I, for 10, 11 years, didn't go to a therapist or seek another therapist because I was like, they're all going to be this way. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do this. Yeah, it's it's so true. And, you know, yeah. one of my things, this, you know, it's not necessarily a cultural thing. But to me, if you're going and seeking treatment for anything related to depression and your therapist's first piece of advice is you should do more things that make you happy. That's a, it's a, it's a no-go for me. Yeah. Like I could have got that advice from my mom, right? right. <laughs> I mean, like that's not, when you're depressed, it's not as easy as do things that make you happy because you don't have the motivation to do things that make you happy because you're depressed, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that, not that simple. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about stigmas. I know you've had some experience with this, but what sorts of stigmas exist in the African-American community in regards to mental health and in regards to getting help for your mental health? So my family, um, I'll start with the way I was raised. The way I was raised, I was raised by a single African-American mother um, who worked hard to provide for me. My grandma took care of me the majority of the time and my dad was in and out of my life. So um, once I realized that I was something was wrong or like I thought differently. Um, I told my mother and at the time she wasn't, she went to school for psychology eventually. But um, once I told her like, mom, I don't feel normal. I don't know what's going on. I, my mind is, I'm freezing up. I can't think I can't do anything. She didn't understand at the time. So that's when she told me to go to the counselor um, she said she always knew something was up, but she just didn't want to say anything. Mm. Um, so getting help was something I had to seek out on my own. My family, once my family found out that I was seeking counseling, they kind of like thought that I was crazy. I felt like they thought like I wasn't strong enough because growing up the way that I grew up, I only see my mom cry maybe three, four times in my mm. entire lifetime. So I feel like I was raised to be a strong woman and just ignore the way that I feel. And that's all fine and dandy, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't ignore the fact that sometimes I just didn't want to be present and not in a negative aspect, like taking my life. I just didn't want to be anywhere with anyone. I just wanted to be alone. I'm already an only child. So it scared my mother. Um, so my family just told me that I was nuts. And I think that's biggest like very present in the African American community. Um, when you are seeking help, that your family sometimes they will be supportive, but sometimes they won't understand 
why you can't just be strong. And I couldn't be strong. I couldn't be as strong as my mom or the way that I saw her. It was just very difficult for me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's intense. Um, yeah. So how, how did you overcome those social barriers within your community, within your family, and come to the decision to get treatment yourself? I, I It actually stemmed from a relationship about, well, I think my last relationship ended when I was 29. I'm 31 now. And I realized that the person that I was dating at the time was a narcissist. And I didn't know that until I was out of the situation. Mm. So with that triggering the pat, my past feelings, I've always felt depressed, didn't know what was going on. But this intensified to the point where my depression was a fog. I, I don't remember, this is crazy to say to some people, they are like, what? I don't remember the last like year and a half of my life because no. I was, it's kind of like the movie Click with Adam Sandler. You know, when he would like rewind or fast forward and then he'd be like, what did I do to get here? That's it. I woke up one day, I was like, what did I do to get here? Mm. And it took a classmate of mine dying um, the end of last year to realize I had I really had no impact and I felt like if I were to pass away, no one would remember me because I haven't done anything. So that kind of like woke me up and I started to seek um, a therapist to get assistance and help. And she's been amazing. Um, it, it was it was hard for me to come to that conclusion because I'm, I always tried to be strong and follow in the footsteps of my mom. But yeah. I had to realize like I'm not my mother. And, you know, she got through things that I probably wouldn't be able to get through myself. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I can really relate to, to the, to that sentiment of thinking about what happens if I pass, right? Who, who cares? Yeah. Right. That was a real, that was a real moment for me as well. There was a time, you know, this is. I always said I would be honest in this job. There was a time maybe four years ago now at this point where I'm happily married, had foster kids at the time, had it, you know, it, all the things that I ever wanted out of my life was, was leading a team at my former job and, you know, thriving. And I, um, on the underside of that, what a lot of people don't see was heavily suicidal. And it was that thought of who cares if I die that really started to, I started to feel like this is becoming too real. It's starting to become more than thoughts. I might, I might act on this mm -hmm. um, that, that led me to reach out and get help. And I was really lucky at my old job. Um, and we have the same sort of thing here at EXP where, you know, we have the employee assistance program. You can call in, you can get some help. They can help you identify someone. Um, they picked out this woman. This is when I spoke to the 90 year old white woman who helped me, you know, figure my stuff out and give me a safety plan. And, um, you know, I think the message we really want to get across, particularly for people that come from a minority background, when it comes to your mental health, um, you don't have to wait for a crisis to get help. Exactly. 
Right. Especially when you know something is going on in your mind. And I come from a heavily religious family. Um, the entirety of my roots is based in religion. So a huge thing for me that I forgot to mention is they always, my family always told me, well, God can get you through it. And why that may be true for some people, it just like God created others to help you others. So that's my personal uh, opinion of that situation. So it was always like, oh, well, you just need to pray. Oh, well, you just need to do this. Oh, well, you just need to do that. And it never worked. And I never understood that. So that's like a huge thing is as well is, although I might be religious and I do believe in equality and my family does not, um, religion played a huge factor on why I didn't want to get help as well. Because I was like, maybe I can just pray it away. Yeah, yeah. And, and for me, mental health had a stigma because of all the counselors I went to the only thing that gave me was pray, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't give me any other tools to use to help myself. Um, and prayer wasn't working for me. There was something going on in my brain chemistry that I needed to address, right? Right. Um, so, so let's talk about the real estate side of this a little bit. What are some culturally sensitive approaches that EXP realty agents can adopt? When they're working with clients from diverse backgrounds to ensure that their mental well-being is considered during the home selling and buying process. So I feel like it's important to stay educated about different cultural norms, values, and practices. Um, that will help you understand your client's perspective and avoid misunderstandings. And then also continuously learning and adapting, um, staying informed about evolving cultural dynamics. Uh, seek feedback from clients and be open to constructive criticism. I think that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big piece of it is you've got to be, you got to keep your ears and your mind open when you're dealing from, from with clients from a different background than yours. And if you really feel that you're super culturally disconnected from one of your clients, we have all these one EXP resource groups, right? And they're not just for people from that group. Therefore, you as an agent to join to learn more about being inclusive in your selling process and buying process. Um, so I would say if you're disconnected from your client, um, the first thing you do is go find that community at EXP and seek out the help. The members there use them as a sounding board, you know, educate yourself, attend some of those events, you know, look at some of their past video content on their workplace group and see if you can get some new understanding. Um, I think it's also a really cool opportunity for you to have um, a good referral network if there are other services and stuff that your clients need and you wanna look for a culturally appropriate option. WinEXP groups are there for you. Um, we also, also always plug that if you're part of a group that isn't represented by a 1EXP resource group and you want to be, we have the DEI Champions program. So you can come to us with a pitch for a group and we at the DEI team will help you grow that idea into a living, breathing organism on workplace and then pitch you to 1EXP to become a new resource group. We don't by any means think that we are covering all the bases. So if your base isn't covered, let us know. 
Um, now let's talk about representation, right? Um, this is a big part of the DEI conversation period, but, you know, can you discuss the importance of representation and diversity within the real estate business and how that can positively impact the mental health outcomes for our, our minority communities? Yeah, I feel when real estate professionals come from diverse backgrounds and communities, they bring a deeper understanding um, and the cultural understanding allows them to empathize with their clients' experiences and provide personalized support through the home buying process. Um, also, representation in the real estate industry helps build trust between agents and minority clients. Um, when clients see professionals who share their cultural background or have a demonstrated commitment to diversity, they are more likely to feel understood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, representation matters, period. And yeah. historically, minority communities have faced systemic barriers and discrimination in housing. They, they always have. And by, like, increasing the representation and diversity in the industry, professionals can actively challenge these biases and work towards equitable housing access for all. That's like, you know, fair housing is sort of the name of the game. And then when minority clients encounter professionals who advocate for their rights and their concerns, that positively impacts their mental health and reduces their stress and frustration and all that stuff that's associated with discrimination. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's the same sort of bit that we see about why representation is important in the media, right? Because it matters to people that they can see people in this industry that look and sound like them. If a minority person, say a young homeowner, has never seen anything but uh, race or gender or, or background that is opposite of them in the real estate business, they've never seen someone they can relate to, they are just less likely to be inclined to want to buy a home. Or they go into the home buying process with the, the ready expectation that I'm going to have to deal with someone who doesn't get it. Mm -hmm. Right. A hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. And I feel like it's the same way with in the mental health in space. Right. Oh yeah. It if definitely is. Never see anybody that relates to you. Like. Or understands what you're going through. That's huge. Yeah. It's very sure. difficult to find someone who. As like, oh, yeah, I've been through that. Or even if you're not from the same cultural background, um, just going through certain situations, if you don't have someone that understands where you're coming from, it's very difficult to connect with that person. Well, Morgan, I'm really grateful that you're on my team. I'm really grateful that you were our second ever guest on the Culture Cast. And um, this was this is this has been a great conversation. Um, yeah, to learn more about any of this stuff, join us at Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion on Workplace. You can join the Healthy Mind Collective on Workplace. Um, also, if you join the DEI group, we have right at the top pinned a list of all the resource groups, and you can click on the links within that list to join any of them. Um, I hope you're looking forward to more episodes of the Culture Cast. And for now, we'll sign off. Morgan, thank you again. Thank you. 
This is gonna be the largest transfer market share we've ever seen between agents in history. KGCI Real Estate on Air, keeping you informed and empowered as the NAR settlement brings seismic shifts to the real estate industry. You treat your buyers just like you do a seller. You get a consultation, you pitch, and you compete for the value you will deliver for the fee you're willing to accept. Stay informed, stay prepared. Depend on KGCI Real Estate on Air.